Sup, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. Today is June 13th, 2021. Happy to be here. Happy you guys are here with me. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and make a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout them out. I'll give you the two rules for the podcast and we'll get well on our way. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers, the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion, and that is JM Bullion. I love those guys. The link to them is in my podcast description. They have been in business for nearly a decade now. They have done over $3 billion in sales. They have a great reputation. They turn my orders around very quickly. I love ordering my gold and silver bullion from JM Bullion. If you are a QTR podcast listener and you want to talk gold and silver bullion, you can email the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Laura at jmbullion.com. She would be more than happy to help you out, help you with inventory. If you have any questions, you don't feel like going through the website, you want a personalized touch to things, Laura is the way to go. She would be very happy to help you out. Just tell her that you're a QTR podcast listener and check out my friends over at JM Bullion because the whole thing is going to shit. The whole market, the whole economy is going to hell in a handbasket. Why not grasp onto some gold and silver while everything, you know, the uh, global economy is napalmed behind us? All right. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George Gammon, Chris McIntosh, and Lynn Alden have created a great platform over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. I think Rebel Capitalist Live is happening right now in Miami as we speak. George Gammon was on my last podcast. Brilliant guy. One of my absolute favorites to bring on. One of my favorites to listen to. And uh, his platform with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh they do, uh, each one of them does a Q&A, a live Q&A every single week, so you get a chance to bounce your questions off of them. They also have a wonderful online forum where like-minded individuals like us, those that have not lost their minds yet, uh, can go and talk about, you know, how things used to be back when economic laws made sense. Those were the days, you know, like the 1950s with Wally Cleaver and Pleasantville and, you know, the gee willikers, those kind of days. Gee willikers, supply and demand affect price. Gee willikers. That shit doesn't happen anymore. Anyways, this podcast also brought to you by my brother Pete Hedgetus over at the Trader's Path, which is one of my favorite day trading communities. If you're an active trader and you're looking to surround yourself with people to bounce questions off of, you're looking for a daily watch list, live streams, uh, charts, new ideas on a daily basis, investor education, the Trader's Path, they trade everything. Red markets, green markets, stocks, options. There's not a thing that they won't get their noses in if they think that it can be lucrative. And it's a wonderful community run by an honest guy, Pete Hedges. So check out The Trader's Path also in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by, and hopefully coming on the podcast soon, my brother Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, who have a little product called The Steam Room, which is really hands down the best piece of software. If you're an options trader, you want to follow money coming into the illiquid options market, which is going to really help sometimes telegraph moves in the equities market, which as you can know, can be very lucrative. A lot of times before big announcements are made, there's a certain amount of activity in the options market, many times probably very illegal by those who are doing it. Uh, but if you're an outside observer just watching and say, hey, there's an awful lot of money going off in this 
strike of this uh, company for reasons unbeknownst to anybody. That kind of stuff is worth noticing, and it can be lucrative sometimes, can help you kind of uh, forecast when moves are coming in equities. And the Steam Room helps you do that. It is the best piece of software to help you keep track of where the money is going, help you read the tape. It does it for you so that you don't have to. Check out Wall Street Jesus, Sanglucci, and the Steam Room. The links to all of those products are in my podcast description. So you can go in there and click away at those little links and have fun doing it. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground and Traders for a Cause, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer, my homeboy Russ Valenti. I was just talking to you the other day. We got to get together. Crichton Titus, Camila Soul, thank you guys so much for your continued support. And how about some of my newest patrons, people that have signed on recently, like Ed Kamire. What's up, Ed? How you doing, brother? Eric Wilhelm, Kathleen Kelly, Kathleen Kelly, thank you very much, Kathleen. David Rees and Traverse, the Mad King of Metals, David Barker, Sam Doolittle, Bill Brewster, Reese Holcomb, Scott Weisenfeld, thank you guys so much. And some people that have been with me for a minute, like M. Stillwell and Dylan Davis, Nasir Ahmed, I haven't forgotten about you. Peter McAuslin, thank you, my brother. And finally, just a couple more from this page here, like the Colorado 14ers. What's going on? Alan Jaworski, thank you, my brother. The folks from the Tesla Q podcast still in the house. Trinker and Dave and Vinny Scarcella, thank you for your continued support. This podcast has a three-drink minimum. I am not an investment advisor. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is not investment advice. Just some of the things bouncing around in the old coconut on top of my neck. Putting them out there for the purposes of open discussion. And trying to get to the bottom of exactly what the fuck is going on. How's that for financial analysis? Thank you. They never ask it on CNBC. So, Mr. L. Arian, what the fuck is actually going on, sir? Well, I couldn't tell you, you know. I am wearing a nice suit, however. Christ. So we got a couple of things that I want to talk about. First and foremost are the meme stocks. And look, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed. Many things have been said about the meme stocks already. First and foremost is the obvious irony, right? That these people that are running these Reddit boards, first off, there's no doubt in my mind that there's hedge funds behind this shit. Zero doubt in my mind. There is a certain amount of money moving around in the options market. There's a certain way that some of these posts are written on Reddit. There's a certain way that some people are responding to these names on Twitter. I just get this feeling that there are bigger forces at play with the meme stocks than just retail traders. I think retail is a big part of it. You know, there's like 7 million people signed up on Wall Street bets now. So obviously they're going to have some influence. But just based on my instinct... And what, has, what have I predicted with my instinct in the past? Well, I started calling out the call options in Tesla back in December 2019. That has now become a story. People are wondering what the hell brought Tesla stock up so high. I asked a lot of questions about the origins of the coronavirus back when that could get you banned from social media. I thought it was just kind of stupid to suggest that the virus may not have come from a lab when the fucking thing was four miles next to where they supposedly, you know, this outbreak happened. So I'm just going on instinct. And on that same instinct, I get the instinct that there are larger forces at play when it comes to the meme stocks. Now, with that being said, you know, I read last week somewhere that the Securities and Exchange Commission 
I think actually it was in the news that the SEC was looking into trading of GameStop. And I encourage that because if there is market manipulation happening, that would be the way to figure it out. And it's not just GameStop I think that they're looking at. And as a matter of fact, I think that the executives at GameStop were kind of oblivious to what was happening. I don't think they had a hand in it at all. And I think that's why so many of them resigned. Uh, that's why they didn't raise capital right away when it happened, I think, and and why some of the executives stepped down. They're like, listen, you know, this isn't what we signed up for. We signed up for uh, running a, a retailer here that was dying. And, uh, you know, our, our once a month board meetings and uh, phoning in our job as executives, pulling the old maybe retail recapitalization plan that we had drawn up from our previous jobs in private equity or wherever the hell these people came from. And then all of a sudden it became the focus of like 50 million retail traders and CNBC to boot. And they're like, shit, we didn't sign up for this. So I think that's probably why some of the executives left. But I think it's great that the SEC is actually looking into the trading because if there are larger forces at play behind the scenes, which I can't help but think that there are. We're going to find out about them. And uh, and wouldn't it be interesting if there were hedge funds in there trying to blow up other hedge funds? Regardless, the idea that people have that running these stocks up are going to somehow stick it to short sellers and save these companies uh, is really misguided. I, you know, I think... To some degree, look, if you run up the stock of a company like AMC that's on the brink of insolvency, it allows them to go to market and sell shares at a higher price to fund their business. So, you know, AMC and and GameStop, they've been able to go out and raise billions of dollars at an equity valuation that they wouldn't normally be able to do. So in that respect, you kind of help the company. But underneath the surface, I mean, there still needs to be major business operational changes that need to take place in order to turn these companies around. I mean, the movie theaters are still a movie theater, you know, and we're still in the post-COVID era now where people aren't in a rush to go back to the movies. It was a dying industry to begin with. People were going to, you know, directly to Netflix and studios were, you know, streaming their shit online. They weren't even going to theaters anymore. And that doesn't change. But what people will argue is, oh, once they raise money, then they can, you know, pivot to some other business or they can buy some other business. But that costs money, too. And in order to do that, say you want to do a bolt on acquisition to try and change what business you're in or you want to go out and acquire a totally different business with stock. um, That's still a business that you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to likely overpay for it uh, in order to acquire it. The point would be to just tuck it into your umbrella as quickly as possible to kind of initiate a business pivot and ultimately the capital expenditures that you're going to have and the money you're going to spend because there won't be any synergies because you're pivoting to a totally new business. What you're going to spend in doing that is uh, going to likely be very dilutive to what the stock is priced at now. So even if you're holding GameStop at 200 and they just raised money, I think at 250 and you're saying, well, you know, the price here is at a discount to what they just sold stock for. And I think that they can go out and turn around the business still for them to uh, be able to explain the valuation that they have. Now, the valuations are just so far gone that even if they do successfully engineer some type of business pivot, the companies aren't going to be worth what their market caps are at today. So 
the idea that you are sticking it to short sellers or that you know you're blowing up some hedge fund by doing this is a great idea hey nobody likes sticking it to people in the financial industry more than i do so i'm with you i am your brother in the struggle there but i think you have uh, misguided means and uh, misguided intentions and i don't think that what you're doing equates to what you think you're doing i mean ultimately if you have a semi-competent management team if you run up the stock of some shit co, right? Like, say I've got that fucking New Jersey deli that was valued at $100 million. And it's been run up because, you know, it just caught on on Reddit. People felt bad for me. I have the one store. I do $35,000 a year in revenue. And they're like, we're just going to save the deli. Stick it to the people that have been shorting the deli and save them. Mind you, people that have been shorting it have been shorting it for a reason. Because the company is probably worth nothing. If I'm doing $35,000 a year in revenue and say it's got a you know $5 million market cap, it's horrifically overpriced. So all they're trying to do is capture uh, when the market finds some efficiency in pricing the company, which who knows if we'll ever have that again. All shorts are trying to do is just capture that arbitrage between what the asset is going to be worth in the future and what it's valued at now. That's it. That's all short selling is. It's the opposite of buying a company a company because you think the stock is going to go up because you think the valuation of the company is going to go up. So there's nothing inherently evil about shorting stocks. They you know, it doesn't short sellers don't come in and pressure a stock like GameStop downwards. What happens is the business starts to collapse and because the stock market is a forward-looking indicator, the market isn't just looking at this year. I hear people say all the time, "Well, they're doing X billion in revenue. How can the stock be so low?" Because these things trade at a multiple. And the multiple, your earnings multiple, your sales multiple, etc., are determined by what the company's prospects are for the future. So if the company has been in decline for the last five years or 10 years, the market has no choice but to assume that the decline is going to continue, especially if it is accelerating. And so that's why short sellers come in. They come in to short the equity of companies that are failing because the equity is overpriced and because the market hasn't realized it yet, they're not the pressure that is causing a company to fail. Short sellers aren't standing outside of GameStop preventing customers from coming in and telling them, oh no, you can't spend your money here. Nobody checks the stock price of GameStop before they go in there to buy an Xbox. You know, people don't say, oh, you know, how's the stock done recently? Oh, it's down 50% over the last three weeks. I can't go in there and buy my Xbox. You know, it's not worth it. No, if they want, if there's demand for the product or service, people will show up and that will ultimately drive the price of the equity. So the idea of sticking it to short sellers to begin with, I think is a misguided idea. But having said that, all you're doing when you go out and you blow up the valuations of these companies, if they have a semi-competent management team is you're allowing the management team to go out and sell stock. As a matter of fact, you're encouraging management to go out and sell stock. Because if I run that deli and the market's valuing me at 5 million, and I know I'm only doing $35,000 a year in revenue, and then the memers come in and they drive it up 10X to a $50 million valuation, I'm thinking as the business owner of this shitty ass deli with you know the busted ass one little log of boar's head bologna left in the, uh, in the freezer that isn't even working in, in the in the refrigerated deli, you know, fucking cabinet, whatever the hell it's called, you know, with the dust all over it and the, the one sorry ass looking soprazzata hanging up in the fucking uh, window, right? 
What am I thinking as the business owner? Hey, this is a huge opportunity for me. The market has somehow ascribed a $50 million valuation to me. Maybe they think my management prowess is so incredible that the turnaround story here from $35,000 a year revenue Delhi to uh, you know up and coming SaaS company or whatever the market thinks I'm going to do, maybe they have full faith in me and being able to do that. So what do I do? I want to hit the bid immediately if I'm the management company. If you are a semi-competent management company and your stock is overvalued, there's nothing wrong with saying the stock's overvalued and we got to sell stock here. As a matter of fact, that's what you would want. You know, if you bought GameStop at 10 and the stock went to 300, you would want management to, if you were a long-term, if you're thinking, you know, 15, 20, 30 years that you want to be holding this company, you would want management to go out and sell stock because they could restock their coffers, they could pay off their debt, and then they could have a lot of cash to do their business with. And as a long-term shareholder, that's what you want. But if you're buying at 300 because you think it's going to go to 600, you're going to be sorely disappointed when management sells at 300 and dilutes existing shareholders because that's what happens when management comes in and hits the bid every time you know they offer another 5 million shares for sale that dilutes people that currently own the stock. Um, that's the right move by management, but you're misguided in buying the stock that high if you think that you're doing anything, if you think that you're sticking it to anybody and doing anything other than enabling management to go out and sell stock. And then what happens is eventually with all of these stocks, because you have a bunch of them, right? All you got to do is look at the Wall Street Bets board to find, you know, a dozen companies that in my opinion are worth zero or less than zero or close to zero that are being run by retail and possibly by other people that are involved. All you're doing by running those stocks is giving management that is incompetently running terrible companies to begin with second chances at you know survival and by allowing a company that's worth zero and I'm not going to name any specifically but there's a lot of companies that are just outright frauds that have been accused of fraud that are running up higher you know what would happen in a normal situation is the market prices the equities lower and then you get a death spiral for financing which is the company racing to raise money as the stock price goes lower, and as the stock price goes lower, you have to issue more shares to raise money, and then all of a sudden you just dilute yourself into oblivion until there's you know billions and billions of shares outstanding, and uh, and then everybody loses because the company ultimately can't generate its own cash, so you have to go to the market for financing. What's happening now is the opposite. The market is rewarding incompetent management teams and terrible business models and products and services that are just pure shit by running their price. So what does that do? It allows these people that should be uh, washed away when the tide goes out, and some of whom also, in my opinion, should be hauled off to jail, but that's another story. It allows those people second chances. Oh, we can do a business pivot. We can, you know, bolt on another acquisition. But more importantly, you know, if you're a public company executive and you run one of these questionable companies, let's just say it's one of these companies that only has intellectual property and you're banking on a buyout or you're banking on some revolutionary IP when everybody knows that your company's just shit. Well, what does this do? What is running a stock up? What is running a valuation up to several billion dollars do? It allows you to raise money, which then in turn 
allows executives to keep paying themselves. And that's it. Think about this. You're the CEO of a company. You got some intellectual property. It's likely worthless. Or you're a CEO of a biotech company. You have a drug. It doesn't fucking work. Clinical trials don't work. So what do you do? You say, oh, well, we're going to do this study and that study and this study and that study. And we're going to do ad hoc. And we're going to do, you know, we're going to data mine. And we're going to try different things. And we're going to see what happens when we administer the drug only on Tuesdays. And, uh... And all the while, you know in your head, all right, it's probably not going to fucking work. But who cares? Because when you're the CEO and you're paying yourself, you know, $3 million a year, really all you want to do is just keep the lights on and keep the business going and just, you know, keep moving the failure forward. And that's what many of these frauds are doing. They're just perpetuating their failures forward. And by running up the price of a lot of these companies, all the people on Reddit are doing is giving these management teams the financial wherewithal that they need to continue running their shitty companies forward and paying themselves and taking all of the benefits of being a public company when they don't deserve it. So what does that mean? Far be it for me to tell the market what to do. That's fine. You guys want to run up the world's most worthless companies to a $10 billion valuation? I don't give a shit. A couple people posted this last week. I was one of them. It is going to make for a setup on the way down, that is going to be incredible. The only question is timing. When you look at all these companies, if you go to the Wall Street bets board and you just fucking throw a dart. And I got to tell you, I mean, I love the Wall Street bets people. I talk to some of them. They're, you know, wonderful people. People message me about the shit and everything. And, uh, and I've had some good conversations and I've got some great feedback. And I know some of them listen to my podcast and I like them and I genuinely want to help them. You know, but the point is a lot of people on those boards just don't know what they're doing. They don't know what equity is. They don't know what they're buying when they buy stock in a company. There's no such thing as valuation or fundamentals anymore. So nobody's looking at, you know, what the future value of a company is going to be. You know, people see a stock price in absolutes without even considering the outstanding shares anymore. There is some decent due diligence on that board, too. There's some people that get it, but there are a lot of people buying shit companies. I saw a TikTok like two weeks ago of this girl. It's like, oh, my God, AMC. It's going to a thousand. It's like, do you even know what that means? Like, do you know what a market cap would have to look like for that stock to go to a thousand? And then, you know, do you know what that valuation would look like relative to what the company's actual financials are? I mean, I know we exist right now in a realm where numbers don't matter thanks to the Fed and Mr. Oh, I can print infinite money. So their fucking fault too, all of this nonsense. I'm not blaming the the retail crowd, but the point is there is gonna be a point where reality hits again. I don't know when it's going to be, but people are going to start taking a look at these companies and go, hmm, you know, here's one. Is this really worth $5 billion? Well, what do they have? Nothing. Well, how much revenue did they do last quarter? Zero. Well, what prospects do they have for revenue for the rest of the year? Nothing. Have they ever turned a profit? No. Do they have an accumulated deficit? Yes. All right. Well, what the fuck's everybody paying $10 billion for for this thing? You know, there's going to be that aha moment. Just like there will be with inflation at some point, too. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But there will be that aha moment for these meme stocks. And then it's over. Then it's over. You know, so I got I have to applaud management now that has gone out and raised the money now because now's the time to do it. You know, when GameStop put out that at the money, you know, we're going to do five million at the money, at the market, whatever the fuck it is, the ATM offerings, where they just basically just start selling immediately. I was like, yeah, you have to. 
You know, they're trying to raise $2 billion, $3 billion. That's what I would be doing. I think you have a fiduciary duty to your shareholders to sell stock here if you're GameStop. But at some point, the mechanics of all of these stock sales, and it's not just GameStop, a lot of these other turds are all selling stock, as well they should be. At some point, the share price, uh, the share mechanics start to kick in. And so, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure most of you know, but when a company has less outstanding shares, the value of each share uh, rises quicker. And when it has more outstanding shares, the value uh, of, of, a, of a share rises and falls a little bit slower, becomes a little bit more liquid when there's more shares out there to be traded. Um, and when you see companies trade in like these clunky spreads sometimes, you know, uh, some companies like uh, Apple will trade, you know, 126 uh 10 by 126.11, tight spreads because there's a lot of shares outstanding. It's very liquid. And then you'll see other companies that'll trade, you know, $39.20 by $40.75. And you're like, oh, that's a huge spread. What's going on? That has to do with the amount of shares that are out there being traded with the liquidity. So anytime that you increase the number of shares outstanding, you're increasing the liquidity, which ostensibly used to at least help price discovery that would help people realize what the actual fair market value of the company is a little bit better because there's more stock moving around. There's more little voting machines moving around, uh, allowing the price to jostle back and forth. Uh, but also, unfortunately, what it does is it makes the company's market cap, uh, you know, if you keep a company at $200 per share after issuing double the amount of shares outstanding, that means its market cap has doubled. And that means if the market cap isn't worth double what it was worth before, that means that the stock has to get cut in half. So if you know if, if my company has a $50 million market cap and we have 50 million shares outstanding and we're priced at a dollar a share, you know, so we have our $50 million market cap, which is essentially the, the total value of all the shares outstanding, essentially is a uh, basic way to think about it. And I say, all right, well, this is great. Um, I like this valuation, so I'm going to issue 50 million more shares. So now there's 100 million shares outstanding. The stock price, if it stays at one, now I have a $100 million market cap. But that won't happen. The market will readjust the market cap back to where it was usually, which was 50 million which means to maintain that $50 million valuation instead of a dollar per share, because there's 100 million shares outstanding now, the stock price goes to 50 cents a share. And so that is what the dilutive effects of share issuance will eventually do to all of these names. They'll eventually issue enough stock and enough people will come to their right minds that there will be epic collapses in a lot of these names. Because a lot of the pricing now on a lot of these names is unnatural. And look what happened with Huang. Right, this guy went out. <clears throat> I don't have proof, but a lot of people are alleging and guessing that he went out and somehow goosed the options market in a lot of these names that he was involved in, thereby driving the equity valuations higher. And what happened? Eventually, he had to puke out his shit, and the market, you know, quote unquote, rediscovered the price for a lot of these equities. That's you know, 60, 70, in some cases, 80 percent lower than where it was when he was doing that. So. Any of these unnatural moves will eventually be corrected. And there's going to be serious arguments to make that when the bubble bursts, <clears throat> you know, something like AMC, which is, I think, closed last week at 45. You know, there, there's an argument to make that it'll be it'll be a better short at 35 and 30 than it is at 45. 
you know, the lower it goes, it'll be a better short because the, the flywheel will start to kind of move in the other direction. And uh, I don't recommend doing that. It's a difficult practice. It's a great way to lose a shitload of money. But there will be an unwind in all these names. There's just a larger amount of excess now than there's ever been. You look at Tesla. You look at the crypto market. You look at these meme stocks. There's a larger amount of excess than there's ever been thanks to the Fed. There is a greater ease of use for people that are getting into the market for the first time with things like Robinhood. So collectively, you know, it's not a huge surprise that this bubble will probably last longer and will probably go higher than previous bubbles than people will have anticipated. But all that means is that on the other end, the collapse is going to be that much greater and there is going to be money to be made on the way down. And I mean, if you look at what happened with, it's a little bit different, but the same kind of psychology. Look at what happened with SPACs, right? They were all the rage. They caught fire. You know, there was like six months there where they were 150 SPACs a month being listed. And then all of a sudden, one of them blew up. The next one blew up. A third one blew up. And all of a sudden, people are saying, hmm, maybe we shouldn't fucking, do, you know, throw our money into these things anymore because there seems to be an awful lot of fucking problems. And I was just reading an article like two weeks ago that one of the SPACs going public was having trouble getting funding from a bank. And this was a legitimate one. I can't remember what it was, but like one of the one of the well-known ones was having trouble engaging investment banks to get the money together to get the transaction to happen. So, you know, that appetite has dried up just as the appetite for these meme stocks will also dry up. It's all psychological. Also psychological is the inflationary crisis that we're dealing with that nobody wants to admit is a crisis. I mean, this is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. First off, you know, in October 2019, I stood on a stage drunk in front of a bunch of people at the Stansbury Conference, and I called Jerome Powell a liar because he had just said that intervening in the repo markets was not QE. That was not quantitative easing. I don't know what he wanted to call it, you know? Maybe he wanted to call it just something not even involved with finance at all, you know? We just call that football. It's like, all right, well, it's not that either. <laughs> but he didn't want to call it QE. So I said, he's a fucking liar. He's just lying to us. He's insulting our intelligence, I think were my exact words. And uh, and now the Fed is out lying to us again in saying that inflation is transitory. And there's a lot of weird things that are happening. One is, you know, the price of gold isn't really responding at all. The uh, bonds are doing some weird shit, right? Bonds are actually bid on this nonsense uh, instead of normally you would think bonds would sell off because you'd think that if inflation was going to be here, the Fed would have to raise rates, bond prices would go lower, yields would go higher. Um, but I guess there's been, I don't even know, I, I don't know what you would call it in the bond market, a flight to safety in the bond market or just general disbelief that the you know that 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 inflation is here to stay i mean look inflation was here before this started okay this isn't a question of whether or not inflation is here to stay in ridiculous numbers which it has been we talked about this a million times you know prices going up five eight ten percent a year with the products and services that most people use that aren't included in the fed's basket or aren't uh you know fucked out of their gourd with hedonic adjustments but Inflation has been here, and that's why I always say, okay, look at the Chapwood Index, right? And it's showing nine, eight, eight, between 8 and 12% inflation in major U.S. cities over the last couple of years. 
So it's already here. The idea that we're talking about, oh, it's just arrived, like it just got off the 26 bus and finally just got here, uh, but it will be uh, transferring to, uh, to the Broad Street line and will be taking off again soon is ridiculous. Uh, it isn't. What the people don't know is that inflation lives here. It lives at Alney Station, okay? It's not going anywhere else. <laughs> it's not, it didn't just get here, and it's not leaving anytime soon. It doesn't have a transfer. It doesn't even have a septic key. It's just sitting at the station, you know? And we've been staring it in the face this whole time, but we've been offering up these word salads and way to kind of dance around it. Uh, we might let it run a little hot. We might do this. We might do that. It's like... Listen, it's been at like 10% for years. No matter what you people are saying doesn't change the fact that if I pay $500 a month for insurance now and next year it's $550 a month, that that is a 10% increase assuming the service stays the same. Nothing the Fed is going to say is going to change that in your life. When you go buy a bag of Lay's potato chips and it's $2.99 now and it's $3.29 next year, nothing the Fed is going to be able to tell you Nothing in their fucking word salad or their red line or their, you know, fancy jargon that they use is going to be able to change the fact that your fucking chips just went up 10%. But because there seems to be an issue with addressing the actual truth and the reality of what's going on, I mean, I would like to just accompany these guys on a shopping trip too. Jerome Powell, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to ShopRite today to get the groceries. Great. Let's go do the fucking load of groceries together and then we'll go again in a year from now, right? And then on that second year, you're like, hey, listen, uh, Chairman Powell, I noticed you bought this same box of ring dings here, and they were $2.99 last year, and this year they're $3.29, and you get one less ring ding. Uh, what does that account for in your book? Well, you know, the quality has gotten better. We've made hedonic adjustments in my head. I'm sure that the product's like, listen, no, Hostess is not in the business of trying to give you a higher quality product. They're in the business of trying to get their money from you in you know the best and most efficient way possible. And if that means giving you a seven ounce ring ding instead of an eight ounce ring ding and raising the price 30 cents at the same time and hoping you won't notice, then that's what they're gonna do. So I don't know what these people are looking at when they do their shopping, when they pay their tuition. I mean, talk about fucking being pulled over by the weight of your own balls. Like, what are they thinking when they do the bills this year versus last year? And this isn't some great mystery. It's not like I have some insane consumer product basket at my house that nobody else has. We're talking about tuition. We're talking about health insurance. We're talking about sour cream and onion dip for our potato chips. We're talking about a big giant bottle of brandy. You know, all the staples that any growing person needs in any household of, you know, any listener of mine would probably have. So I don't know when these guys get up there and say, oh, it's 2% or we're running a little, we're running a little over 2%. Yeah, you're running five times 2%. How's that for a little? Open your fucking eyes. But then to come back around and say, oh, well, this recent here run up, it's just transitory. You know, <clears throat> first off, there is a labor shortage everywhere in the com country. There should be zero people unemployed in this country right now. Zero. Because everywhere you go from the fucking, listen, every single place I go has a help wanted sign. The bars I go to are looking to hire people. Primo Hoagies on fucking third and market. They got a sign in the window that says we're short staffed. The store across the street says we're short staffed. There's McDonald's offering $500 just to sign up. There's 
Wawa is offering people $500, I think, in a COVID vaccine to sign up and just work for them. The Royal Farms up here has got it. We'll give you $500 for signing up and tuition. Starbucks is running these things. They just can't find people to work. When I talk to people, there's a contractor doing work on um, on my condo. I talk to him. Nobody wants to work. Shows up with one guy one day. Same guy's not there. A couple days later, what happens? He doesn't want to work. He's getting government money. That's exactly what he said. And you can't get things in the country anymore. Like, I'm not just imagining things. I put out that tweet yesterday that I stopped on the New Jersey Turnpike to get gas at the Woodrow Wilson rest stop, which is where I always stop to get gas. And they had all these cones out in front of the gas tanks. I seen the guy that was out there that I always see, the same dude. I pull up, I'm like, hey, what's going on? No gas today, my friend. I was like, what do you mean no gas? Yeah, about 20 miles down the road, keep driving. I said, where the fuck are we? The Nevada desert? What's going on? I don't see any tumbleweeds. This is strange that gas would just dry up here. Except we're not in the Nevada desert. We're on a major national highway with like hundreds of thousands of cars going by every second. No gas today, my friend. (laughs) All right. I go to Starbucks in the morning. Hey, can I get one of those little fucking things to put into, uh, you know, the, the coffee, the little stoppers? So that when I'm walking a couple blocks back to my house, the coffee doesn't spill all over the place. We're out of those. We don't have those anymore. Well, when are they coming in? We don't know, and we haven't had them for months. Oh, okay. That's a little weird. A couple nights ago, going over to somebody's house that I know, go to the liquor store. I know that they like Cafe Patron. I go in, hey, can I get a bottle of Cafe Patron? We don't have that here. What do you mean? We don't have it, and nobody has it. What do you mean nobody has it? Where's the Cafe Patron? Nope, no one has it anymore. Ever since uh, the back end of the pandemic, nobody's been able to get it. He said, we just got regular Patron in just a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. So it's just not available. So these, I mean, these are real life examples from my regular life. And all of these have happened like over the last week. I mean, I ordered a sofa like um, two months ago. I already said this on my podcast. I think I ordered it in like, what is it? So I think I ordered it in April. And they're like, yeah, it'll be delivered in June. I'm like, June, where's it coming from? Korea? That's what I said. She's like, no, it's coming from North Carolina. Oh, okay. I was talking the other day with a guy about replacing uh, sliding glass doors and windows. I said, what's the lead time on a project like this? He's like, it's about 14 to 18 weeks now. I said, holy shit. So what's going on? Just a lot of people like renovating, you know, building he said no he said we're having trouble getting oil and gas in texas and we use those to make like all the uh vinyls and the polymers for the windows and stuff like that and that just backed us up it just completely screwed us up i said holy shit so between the gas being out there's no stoppers at starbucks anymore i got a couch that's gonna take fucking two months to get you know 500 miles up the highway my window guy says there's a 14 to 18 week lead time because they can't get access to oil and gas in Texas. All of my local businesses are asking me to bear with them because they're short staffed because nobody wants to work. And then I tweet out something yesterday that's like, it feels like we're living in a third world country. And people are like, oh, this is just, this perma bear is just insane. You're just an insane perma bear. The stuff that comes out of this guy's mouth. It's like, I don't know. Open your eyes. You know, for everybody, it's going to hit a little bit differently, I guess. Depends on what you're into. Maybe it'll be that first time you go to your bar and you order like your favorite shit. Like, hey, let me get a Pabst and a uh, Heaven Hill whiskey. Like, we don't have either of those. 
We don't have anything anymore. All we have is gin, and we make it in the back room. <laughs> Whatever your aha moment's going to be, certainly, I mean, those are real-life examples, and there's been more. I mean, I literally just thought of those off the top of my head just while I was sitting here just bullshitting. So I'm seeing little things like this. When I listen to commentators like Schiff and like other people that say, hey, you know, the government handouts are not doing good things for our economy because they are disincentivizing work and disincentivizing production. Um, And that, you know, look, we now have all this hot money chasing all of these uh, goods and services. Look, the semiconductor issue that we're having. There's auto manufacturers that are unable to produce their vehicles because they can't get chips for them. They're saying that that backup isn't going to let up until 2022. And that's something else. You know, and we can't address it in this country because we don't make any semiconductors in this country. So now there's this big dash between Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor to build here in the U.S. and in Arizona to try to help alleviate that in the future. But, you know, to some respect, it's almost too late. We already got caught with our pants down. You know, you had people hoarding gas last month. I know it was because of the uh, pipeline hack, but still the images... Just think about the images we've seen over the last two years since the pandemic started. I mean, people rushing to get toilet paper and people, you know, hoarding gas and hoarding masks. Like, what has been going on for two years? And if you think it's going to get better with inflation, you're wrong. Because what's going to happen is as prices start to rise, people are going to want to buy things in advance. It's going to pull a lot of demand forward. You know, if you see things that are rising in price to the tune of, you know, 5% every month, why the fuck would you wait? You know, you'd be like those people on uh, extreme couponing. When they open up their closet and you just see like 5,200 shoe shine kits. It's just like, what the hell are you going to do with all these? I paid six cents for these 5,200 shoe shine kits. It's like, you're not even wearing shoes. You're wearing fucking sandals. You know, well, I better donate them to charity. I'm like, well, isn't that fun? You spent nine hours of your life collecting coupons to go out and get 5,200 things of shoeshine so that you could give them away. Wonderful. That's a great, like, euphemism for the productivity of the nation, too, right there. What are you doing? Something. And I'm doing it hopped up on Starbucks coffee, so I'm doing it at twice the speed I would normally be doing. Are you producing anything? No, I'm just kind of running around in circles, chasing my own tail. But uh, I bought this sign here that says live, laugh, love, so it's all good. It's not all good, folks. (laughs) We have big problems. And once people catch on that inflation is a thing, you know, look, I'm not going to be the first person to tell you this, I'm sure, but inflation, a lot of it is psychological, right? It's letting the genie out of the bottle, which Schiff says all the time. I say a lot of people, when they talk about inflation, they say, don't let the genie out of the bottle. Once the genie is out of the bottle, you can't get it back. Because psychologically, once the nation is convinced that the Fed is wrong and that inflation isn't transitory, well, then you got big problems. You're going to have workers that are demanding higher wages because the cost of living is going to rise, which means you're either going to have to make more money and demand higher wages to meet that rising bar, or more likely, you will spend the same amount of money and your quality of life will diminish. And that will be a catalyst for people to consider going out and pulling forward a lot of demand like I'm talking about. 
I mean, once prices start to get away from people and the people it's going to hurt the most are the lower class and the middle class. And so if you think that we no longer have a powder keg in this country after the riots and all the other shit that happened last year, I would challenge you and say that you might be mistaken in that inflation getting out of control could be the spark that lights the fuse there again because it is a fucking frustrating feeling to get up in the morning and not have enough money to put gas in your car or at least just buy a coffee in the morning. And I always bring up the analogy of, you know, because I did it many, many times in my life, pulling up to the 7-Eleven or pulling up to the Wawa and barely having, you know, $1.29 or whatever it was going to cost me for my coffee to get started in the morning. And one day you walk in there and the price is $1.69. And that's a huge miss, right? If you're if you're a successful business person, that's not a big deal. You just go, all right, well, my coffee costs a little more. But if you're a fucking grinder, if you're an everyday worker and you want your morning coffee and you're on a budget, which is more than you can say about the government anyways, but say you're on a budget, that kind of shit hits hard and it fucks you up. This is what I was talking about in my weighted blanket theory video of why these people were rioting and why we were having congressional hearings and why the meme people were lashing out. They're lashing out because... They don't even know. They they have a gripe with somebody and they don't know who it is. They think it's short sellers. I think it's the Federal Reserve. I think their gripe is with the Federal Reserve. And you see it manifest a little bit more in the Bitcoin crowd. They're getting it a little bit more right, although it remains to be seen whether or not Bitcoin is the uh, is the right out for that. But the point is with the meme stocks, look, Every bubble bursts. If you go back to February, I did a video called The Anatomy of Bubbles Bursting. It's on my YouTube channel where I talked about, you know, I think Tesla was at $900 a share and Bitcoin was near 60000 And I talked about, hey, this might not be the top, but at some point in every asset, somebody buys the all-time high. Somebody buys the top. So when is that going to be for each of these assets? And, uh, you know, on that episode, Pompliano, who still won't get in touch with me, won't come on my podcast and won't have me on his podcast after agreeing to do so, which go figure. I'm crestfallen, by the way. I'm completely, I'm ruined over it. But at some point he said, you know, I praise Elon Musk's leadership. And I said, hey, why don't we wait to see what happens with Bitcoin before you praise his leadership, right? If it goes to a million, then it's great leadership. It's a good bet. If it goes to zero, it's not great leadership. It's, and it's not great leadership to go out and speculate with shareholder capital on an asset that nobody knows where it's going to wind up. And so here we are, like four months later, and Bitcoin is, you know, been down like 40% from there. Not saying it won't go higher and go back past 60000 again, because it might. But certainly as of right now, it doesn't look like the best choice in the world. And so even when you zoom out just four months, oh, there's a little bit of a different perspective. All these bubbles will if they don't burst completely, they will blow off at some point. There is always going to be a high price. There's always going to be a top tick. And it's not just in stuff that runs crazy and Bitcoin. It's in every asset. It's in Johnson & Johnson shares. It's in home prices. There's going to be a nominal top tick and there's going to be a real top tick, however you want to measure it in real terms. And somebody will always buy the top. Uh, and so that is a certainty. Uh, at some point. That's a mathematical certainty that somebody will have always bought the top uh, as long as markets continue in perpetuity.
you know, I can at least give the meme stock people some credit because they're at least honest about their intentions, right? They're on the board saying, let's just run this fucking thing as high as we can. <laughs> you know, at least they're not even trying to be deceptive about it. But for, you know, when Keith Gill did his uh, congressional testimony with GameStop at 350, I do believe shares are still undervalued. It's like, dude, just come out and say, I'm fucking rich. I mean, that's what I would do. I know you can't do that in front of Congress, but Jesus Christ, you know that dude hung up from that Zoom call and just like was just immediately like, I'm fucking rich. <laughs> yes, I do believe shares are quite undervalued still. Kind of have to say that. But for the most part, these guys come by it honestly. And they just say, hey, look, we're going to take this total piece of shit company. We're going to do zero due diligence on it. We're going to take the company at their word on everything that they say, that they have some great new revolutionary whatever product and or service and or piece of intellectual property. And that's all we need to see. And we're just going to the moon. And that's it. No rhyme or reason. No one cares. No one knows what a market cap is, what a PE is, whatever. Who cares? Fuck it. Fuck the man. Fuck you. We're running the stock higher. And I got to tell you, I have some respect for that. To the, to the extent that it's not like total market manipulation, which I don't support because that's obviously illegal. That's creating a, an artificial price under things. And uh, I'm sure the SEC will weigh in on that. But at least they come by it honestly. At least they're not lying like the Fed is, you know. And because inflation ticks higher, they're always there's always a word salad for things. Like they can't actually do anything. All they can do is just talk. It's like they're like a guy that just tries to talk their way out of everything. They remind me a lot of these CEOs of these frauds when they get called out and then they go on TV and they're just, uh, well, uh, yeah, blah, blah, uh, well, I just, uh, well, I think I'll be the revolutionary product and uh, going forward and demand is strong and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, well, I don't really think, I don't really, th- what did Steve Byrne say? I don't really think anybody expected us to have any orders, you know, uh, 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 uh. it's just like, oh my God, it's like some things you just can't talk your way out of. Sometimes it's just better to just stop fucking talking, but that's all the Fed does is they talk. They talk, yeah, and they've got an excuse. They got a bullshit excuse for everything. There's always it's like they got a bullshit excuse Rolodex, and whatever the issue is, they just turn right to the thing. Hello, uh, housing prices are up ten percent in the last ten minutes. Um, are you okay with that? Well, yeah, we we uh, hasn't really gotten to the point of excess yet, but uh, you know we're we're seeing a uh, slight bump in the in housing prices, which we think will come and go. It happens to do with the under underlying commodity prices, uh, the lumber, the strong demand, and uh, we had certain uh, you know home remodeling uh, contractors that weren't available for a certain amount of time. And blah, 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 blah. shut the fuck up! Just stop lying! Just stop lying and say there's a bubble, you know? Lumber went from two cents to two thousand dollars in two minutes. Is that normal? Well, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say we're seeing a, a lot of excess in the market, but it, uh, the sharp moves in some commodities having to do with uh, some shipping companies that haven't been able to come out of some ports in Asia where things have been closed. There was a Chinese food restaurant that caught fire and caused a traffic jam in Shenzhen, which prevented a lot of the normal container ships from getting to where they're supposed to go. Uh, ergo, lumber goes uh, up 19 billion percent. Uh, it's completely transitory. We expect it to come down. The price of blah, 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 blah. Shut the fuck up. Just say it's a bubble. You know, just say it's a bubble. Sir, soybeans, 
uh, have gone from $5 to $5 million in 5.2 seconds. Uh, does the Fed have any stance on that? Well, yeah, we were just seeing an increasing number of uh, you know, people uh, eating uh, tofu in the country. It would become a popular staple in uh, the Western diet. We've seen an adaptation of the, the keto diet, but we don't, we don't really expect the price of this to continue to stay here. Just shut the fuck up. Just stop lying. Fuck. Just stop lying. Just say we're trying to inflate away the debt. Everybody knows this is what you're trying to do, by the way. It's not like you're fooling China, right? We can't just come out and say that. Then they'll know. The dollar will be worthless. It's like morons. Xi Jinping is playing fucking four-dimensional chess. And we're over here fucking around playing checkers. You think he doesn't know what's going on? You think he doesn't understand the macroeconomic picture? Think he doesn't get, you know, what the trade deficit means for the U.S.? You think he doesn't understand how we are, you know, just absolutely bludgeoning the dollar to death? You don't think there's some big plan going on overseas to unseat the dollar? And if it's not in China, it's in Russia and, you know, probably in both. I mean, it's happening. These guys just play the long game. Sir, we have uh, 6% unemployment and the Schiller price-to-earnings ratio is uh, at an all-time high of 38. Uh, do you see any uh, market excess? Well, you know, we got assets are so, so slightly elevated. We're seeing some slightly elevated. You know, you know the bubbles as you come and go, the short-term cycles, uh, you know, these are, well, could just be transitory coming in. The board doesn't really see and uh, the labor force, uh, the focus on the uh, labor force participation rate and the, the PCE deflator says, oh, blah, 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 blah. shut up. The market is in a bubble. Just say it. Just admit it. You'll feel good. I bet you sometimes Powell gets drunk off brandy at home and just like whispers to his dog, you know, hey, hey, Fido, come here, come here, come here. Can I tell you something? Get really close. Hey, let me tell you something. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I have no fucking clue. The whole fucking thing's going to go tits up on my watch. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. All right, let's go play out in the yard. You know, you know there's conversations like that happening. And I guess the last thing I want to say is that just because the gold and silver markets haven't recognized this yet, and I don't know what the deal is with gold and silver. I mean, every expert has their own opinion. People will tell you it's paper market manipulation. People will tell you it has to do with real rates. People will tell you this, that, and the other. I think the market just hasn't realized that this thing is out of control yet for the Fed. And, you know, while I think many industry experts understand that, and I've talked about that on this podcast, you know, nine out of 10 macro economists probably understand that this is out of the Fed's hands. Hell, when Mohammed El Aryan is tweeting about it and tweeting words of caution, I mean, that's, that's as deep state in the world of finance as you can get. But I think that the market doesn't realize something until it has been bludgeoned over the head with it. I mean, look at what happened with coronavirus. When that was breaking in January of 2020, it was like three weeks that it was like me and FX Hedgers, the guy on Twitter, were the only people tweeting about the case numbers and talking about how this is eventually going to hit the U.S. markets. And then, you know, I even did a podcast where I said, look, everything's fine until you wake up one morning and everything isn't fine. You know, there's just going to be a day where people are going to come to terms with reality and have the realization that things are a bit fucked here. And that's what eventually happened. People woke up one morning and realized this is going to be a huge problem and the market got shellacked. And I think the same thing is going to happen with gold. And that's why I think guys like Peter Schiff 
when he says, hey, you know, the big move is coming. I was just listening to his podcast like yesterday while I was jogging. And I was thinking to myself, here he is saying again, the big move is really coming in gold. And I'm like, man, that guy says that shit a lot. And then I think to myself, like, is he right? I'm like, yeah, I think he is right. You know, and he made a good point and <laughs> in, in only the style that he can. And he said, look, I'm, you know, people keep telling me I'm wrong and I'm not wrong. I'm just haven't been proven right yet. He's saying I've and then when I'm proven right, people will realize I've been right the whole time. So some might call that a, a cop out, but he might also be right. Um, and I tend to agree that gold is going to see one of these stratospheric moves at some point, I was talking to, who was it? Maybe Lawrence Lepard, uh, two podcasts ago about, hey, look, when we get back through 2000, I think the second time people are going to realize it's it's time. It's go time. Once people realize the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place and CPI, you know, uh, jumps are not transitory and that they're here to stay. And by the way, if the CPI is at 5%, I mean, real inflation is probably at like 15%. Right, I mean, the CPI understates actual inflation so much that it's ridiculous to think about what the actual inflation numbers must be like if the CPI is at 5%. But it really does feel like gold is going to be the answer. Not just the long-term answer of, hey, maybe we'll get back on a gold standard or we'll do a digital currency backed by gold. Um, it doesn't only feel like it's going to be the long-term answer. It feels like in the short term, it's going to be the answer too. I don't know what the exogenous event is going to be that's going to get people to realize that the only way out of this is more printing. I mean, I'm assuming now that gold is probably being manipulated lower a little bit, but it's probably also a factor of the market not being convinced that the Fed can't get out of this. And that's just not the case. So when that happens, I think we'll see that move much higher in gold. I just think that it's a inevitability with the way things are going. There's just no way out. They can't raise rates. They have to print. They have to print. That's it. They have to monetize the debt. And the only way to do that is by printing. And in the long term, maybe we go back to gold and there's a repricing and a repegging and this and that. And, you know, the U.S. loses reserve currency status, et cetera. But I think even in the short term, there will be that psychological moment, just like with the meme stocks, when, bang, they're going to realize, oh, people are going to wake up and say, Everything here is 80 to 90% overvalued. Oh, shit. All right, well, let's get the fuck out. All right, it's been fun, but that's enough. It's like the SPAC thing, right? Oh, this is great. We made a shitload of money on this, but Congress is looking at it now, and nobody's taking the SPAC seriously, and they're not running anymore. Maybe we shouldn't fund it. Maybe we shouldn't buy AMC at 68 or Clover at 26. And the same thing is going to happen with gold. Oh, shit. Maybe the Fed doesn't have everything under control. Maybe inflation is going to be here more than two months. Maybe things will continue to be a problem. Then what happens to gold? I think it goes much higher. All right, fools. I am out of here. Hope everybody has a lovely weekend, and I will be back this week. Peace.